Hello and welcome on the Barricades. This is your weekly, uh, favorite weekly political show delivered to you by Eastern European <coughs> leftists. And uh, I'm Boyan Stanislavski. I'm hosting the show alone today without my uh, usual co-host, my colleague, uh, Maria Chernat. She wasn't able to make it for this recording, but I have a very special guest for you, Pat Byrne, who's a friend of the show and a great analyst and also a long-standing uh, leftist socialist activist. Uh, this is the third segment of our conversation on the current situation of war in Ukraine. And uh, in the previous two segments, we discussed uh, we discussed the historical background, so to say, and we discussed NATO. And now we are basically discussing Ukraine and the developments that led up to uh, this conflict and to the military intervention, uh, to the invasion on the part of Russia last Thursday. Pat, please uh, go ahead and uh, and and uh, the mic is yours. Okay, well, uh, in in our last segment, um, Boyan, you were you were talking about this uh, issue of uh, divisions within Ukraine, you know, ethnic and language divisions in in the country. It's interesting. I I um, I did a, I looked back um, preparing for this this um, uh, session. I, I looked back at uh, the history of um, Ukraine's ethnic divides, and it's very interesting to see. In, in 1920, when Ukraine was divided between a nationalist government and a Soviet and Soviet uh, government, it was almost identical the the map uh, that you see today. So thus, you saw the north and particularly the west was very strongly nationalist, and the the south and the east were strongly pro-Soviet, um, and and so obviously these. The roots of these um, divisions go back a long, long way, and uh, they obviously tie in as well with the <clears throat> geographical proximities of um, these parts of Ukraine. Logically, so um, yeah, and it has absolutely it has always been like that. And right. uh, also, let us let us not not forget here that actually the the notion of Ukrainianness, so to say, was first floated by the Bolsheviks. By the way. And many argue, for example, many communists in Russia argue today that, you know, Bolsheviks got a little bit carried away on their theory of, of you know, uh, self, uh, what was it? Sorry, I forgot the word, self, uh, uh, self-definition, not self-definition of nation. Self-determination. Self-determination, thank you. Mm. Thank you, exactly. And that, you know, the, the, this, uh, the, what they created by that is this sort of difficult to manage uh, phenomenon which is referred to today as the Ukrainian nation. And, you know, many argue that nothing like that has really ever existed, that it's just a political... But anyway, I don't want to go into that, and I don't support sure. that. I'm just saying <clears throat> no. that it's, it's, it's a point okay. of view that is wide, widespread, not only in Russia, but in many areas uh, in countries and, and political circles in Eastern Europe. Okay. I mean, I, I, the, 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 the thing I wanted to focus on, um, <clears throat> you know, in this, this big debate about um, the United Nations Charter and that that uh, Russia is breaking the United Nations Charter with this invasion, which they are. <clears throat> but I, another part, an important part of the United Nations Charter is um, the 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 prohibition against interfering in other countries, 
and not just in military invasion, but there's many ways you can also, um, you know, uh, invade a country, if not militarily, but you can invade them in terms of influencing their politics, um, bribing their politicians to do what you want uh, from outside. And this is exactly what has been the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems that Ukraine has faced since they they broke away from the Soviet Union. And... um, the uh, and and this this influence we're particularly talking about is coming from from the West, from particularly from the Americans, and to some extent their um, their servants in uh, in Europe, uh, and uh, <clears throat> this has been uh, uh, the, the running sore that they the Americans have constantly intervened in Ukraine um, right from the word go, uh, influencing the economic policies. You know, so Ukraine implemented just like Russia did, a shock doctrine, which led to massive poverty among the people, poverty, and <clears throat> led to the shock. You see, because as you'd said earlier, um, <clears throat> one of the first problems that became apparent was uh, that the Ukrainian economy um, was so closely tied in with the rest of the Soviet Union, it, to an extent that, that not everybody even realized at the time, so that they couldn't, they couldn't actually function properly as a separate a separate country so for example a factory in uh, in you know i don't know steel making factory or um, metal metallurgy or chemical factories on would require absolutely vital components or materials from a factory in i don't know siberia or in kazakhstan yeah, or technology or, for that matter te- whatever it whatever it was and so when those when those country, when those factories were shut down as part of the, the shock doctrine, then they couldn't get vital supplies and they couldn't replace those supplies very easily at all. So, so then they had to shut down. So, and then they, they were expecting, with the support and interference of the West, they thought coming with that would be a lot of investment money. But then they discovered, um, and they, they started to get disillusioned because... The West wasn't interested in investing in, in Ukraine. They thought Ukraine was just too difficult, uh, would take too long to recover. They had a lot of other countries they were in, interested in investing in in Eastern Europe. And Ukraine was not high on their priority list. So as a result, all the promises came to very little. Um, <clears throat> so then we saw um, uh, governments being elected that were, um, as time went on, that were less um, uh, favorable to the neoliberal agenda or less pro-Western. Um, so then they, they decided that, oh, well, we need to take action against these governments. And then we saw the Orange Revolution mm-hmm. in 2004, which was organized by the West and used all these <clears throat> um, methods of what looked like um, uh, street, street uh, you know, uh, protests and non-violent. Uh, they took a lot of leaves out of Gandhi's book, but they developed them and then weaponized them and then integrated them in a in a, a quite sophisticated regime change operation, <clears throat> but even yeah, but then, even then, the the Orange Revolution didn't deliver what they were hoping. They, but but let, let me, if I may, here, I, I just want to say that uh, it's it's it makes sense to point out why it didn't deliver. Well, because they they did not actually at the time of the Orange Revolution they did not shatter this uh, balance. Okay, between uh, the West, the East, you, you know, all those uh, yeah, elements, sure. you know, of ethnicity, culture, you know, identity, and so on and so forth. So they just tried, what they tried is within that structure of uh, balance, maintaining it to some extent, just to tip it a little bit towards, you know, 
to sort of give the sort of hand over, so to say, the, the legislature and the executive branch to the Westerners, but not to those that would like, you know, blow the whole country up and the, that would start a widespread repression and stuff like that. But to, you know, some people that would just be yeah. more solid in their, uh, uh, you know, in their political direction towards the West. And that was the hope. And that was, that was, you know, still that that's not something that I support because it clearly was a regime change operation. And there's no way that I would support anything like that, but it was at least thought out. Okay. It was at least somehow, uh, you know, they, they tried to do something manageable. Whereas in 2014, they just went, you know, went mm-hmm. for the kill. But anyway, we're going to get to that. Sure. I mean, I, I mean, underlying all this, of course, is that the, the program, the economic program of, um, the post-Soviet era, uh, which was a neoliberal program uh, based around privatization and hoping that they could, um, uh, instead of it being a state-led uh, economic economy, they thought they could just build up um, from the bottom, uh, you know, private sector that would get bigger and bigger and bigger and so on. But it needed. But the trouble was, it, to do that, they would have needed a massive investment. They weren't getting it. Now the thing was that. The, the stupid thing about this is that Ukraine has got incredible economic potential. It's a very yeah. rich yeah. country in terms of it's got massive national natural resources, uh, both in, in terms of agriculture. I mean, Ukraine is capable of, of feeding the whole of Europe um, in terms of right. energy. Um, <clears throat> you know, Ukraine has got one of the largest res- reserves of oil and, and natural gas uh, in terms of other minerals. Uh, it also has it also has um, uh, you know big industrial sectors that are important internationally, uh, such as and they're still big, produce. you know, despite yeah. the destruction, despite the thirty years of destruction. Right? So you know, steel production, metal, metallurgy, machinery, etc., etc. Plain assembly plants. Is that, yeah, the 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 um, engine, yeah, engine plants and so on, and uh, and uh, they have. They have finally got some assembly car assembly plants and so on, like a lot of other countries. But it doesn't doesn't corris- doesn't make up for all the disastrous. I mean, because they, <clears throat> on top of all of these problems, the um, they suffered Ukraine from even possibly even worse than Russia um, problems of uh, theft of, of mm-hmm. uh, you know the, um, the these oligarchs who became rich by stealing all the state resources and. They were even vital factory equipment, breaking it and sell it to Turkey. I happen to know that because I I lived in Turkey about that, um, mm. that, that disgraceful episode. And I wasn't aware of, of this, really, that, but that's pretty pathological. Yeah, on top, on top, I know. On top of all that, you've got, um, you've got industrial-scale corruption in, in, in Ukraine. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and and not just in the I mean and you've got a political kleptocracy. So quite a lot of these presidents who get elected, though I mean the la- the one before the, the Zelensky, what was his name? I can't remember, but he Poroshenko. he was fa- yeah, he was famous for you know, he'd he'd take anything that wasn't nailed down, basically. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and so you know, you you're talking about these so the great potential of the country is being is not being realized at all. Um, because of all this thing, and, that, and the result of that is that not only a disastrous economic situation, but we're seeing we've seen a mass emigration from uh, Ukraine. Oh, um, absolutely, lost, exodus, they, they, not not em- they, exodus, yeah. like millions they've of lo- people. They, they lost uh, they lost ten million, a fifth of their population. 
in the last yeah. few officially like officially that. and there's no yeah. one you know even before uh you know the, the whole thing unfolded <clears throat> in 2014 you so, know there, there was no yeah. one in ukraine who wouldn't have all right a family or mm. a friend you know abroad yeah so this so then we get to this um as you you were talking about the um the uh, you know the coup in 2014 Euromaidan. Now <clears throat> these these methods they try to make them look like they're a democratic uprising of the people, but it, it was actually first of all it was only a section of the the population who were behind this, um, <clears throat> the, you know the Ukrainian speaking section of the population, and it was the hardcore were were fascists. Um, Absolutely, and, and I want right? to stress on that that this is you know you can you can call it Russian propaganda whatever. In this particular instance, oh, Russian uh, propaganda is correct. Okay, well, they were marching. I mean, we saw it in the videos. They were marching around the square with of Nazi course. insignia. What Absolutely, heck? but but I'm I'm um, also talking about those political leaders that were uh, uh, that at the time. Okay, were hmm. were uh, presented to the wide public as uh, you know the only. Uh, trustworthy pro-European, uh, pro-Western uh, politicians that you know that value democracy. One of them uh, was this Oleg Tyakhnebog, uh, the leader of the Svoboda Party. And you know, he he, he was just uh, before the, before he became a leader uh, the uh, leader of that party. He used to be in something called the Socialist National Union of Ukrainians. I'm sorry, something along that lines with this particular combination of words. Okay, Socialist mm. National, which is just you know crazy. Okay, like when you look at it on its face, it's it's just fascist. Okay, straight down fascist. Well, well, and, this yeah. yeah, let's take this question up because. The West is trying to deny uh, the influence of the fascists in Ukraine at the moment. And, and from yeah. that point, you know, they're trying to deny that. But it, it's rubbish. And, and um, but they, they think, they think well, how could the Americans be involved with... Because the Americans basically financed and organized most of that... Um, which we know, uprising. which we know from we know the that. leaked, yeah. uh, you know, tapes and, and, and all the yeah, rest of it. Yeah, there's right? so yeah. much evidence I mean, of it, you know... Um, uh, and, and but and also it was um they were doing they've done this in many other countries in Eastern Europe so of course it's nothing new so anyway yeah they, but um, here but here we, yeah. we we can have no doubt I mean the the, the discussion yeah, sure. you know between Victoria Newland yeah. and I think it was Jeffrey yeah. Piat or or someone uh, some other yeah, American yeah. official yeah, where, yeah. Where, where where she said that Yats you know Yatsenyuk uh, you know uh, that he's our man. That you know that obviously this was a regime change operation. Uh, plus, you know, f the EU and all the rest of it. It's all well, it also on came tape. out. Didn't they spend? Didn't the figure of five billion dollars? Yes, out? exactly, they, exactly. That this is what they they had invested. Yeah. This is what they had invested yeah, in. Know. You know, developing Incredible. democracy in Ukraine. <clears throat> Brilliant. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but this is their strategy. You know, it's it's a, it ties in with their whole regime change strategy. They've applied applied many many places. But they, I think, as you said, that they had realized that the Orange Revolution, which was similar to the color revolutions they'd organized elsewhere, was not yeah. sufficient not in a country enough. like Ukraine because of, this, because of this ethnic language division in the country. They realized they needed a brutal regime who was, willing, who was basically going to stamp down on, on the Russian section of the population. And they realized they needed a much more determined government than what it achieved uh, 10 years before. So that's yeah. why their second... It's not only going to take over the country, but stick it to right. the Russians. Yeah. Right. And they, that, that's why they were willing to work with the, with the fascists. So, uh, but they, the, the Americans have worked with um, 
fascist so, so many places that I haven't got... I, <laughs> so, I can, thank you I mean, for saying this. Because well, if I had they, said know, that again, Russian propaganda and all the rest oh, of it. Oh, no, so I mean, you, you know, the, the Americans have worked with the fascists. I'm, I'm based in Brazil. So yeah. you don't have to tell us how much the work, Americans have worked with fascists in Brazil, in Argentina, in yeah. Uruguay, in Chile, in exactly. Peru, Nicaragua. in Bolivia. I, I mean, I, I know a lot about this subject. And the reason why the Americans do that, they've worked with the mafia, they've worked with drug runners, you name it. They've got or no Islamist principle. terrorist, you know, group. Well, yeah, the, yeah, the ISIS, the Al Qaeda, the, the uh, whatever. They basically, yeah. their attitude is a totally unprincipled one to, um, they will work with anybody who's going to help them. And, uh, you know, their, their slogan, they're basically, their unprincipled um, policy is based on, you know, um, <clears throat> my enemy's enemy is my friend. doesn't matter yeah, who they yeah, are, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and in, many, in many cases, historically, they have built up people who have then turned, and, turned on them. And we've yeah. seen that with all kinds of figures like Noriega. Not least Osama Bin Laden. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's great. <laughs> great example. So they... they um, uh, the Americans are totally unprincipled who they're willing to work with, which is why they're, it's quite obvious. I mean, if you followed even even the last um, three or four years in Ukraine, I mean, what they've done, I mean, for example, um, <clears throat> making the, making ba Stephen Bandera and the other leader of the fascists during the Second World War, making mm -hmm. them, giving them awards. Yeah. The president of the country giving awards to these people, making and declaring them to be national heroes. What yeah. the hell? How many yeah. people those those people were responsible for killing of Ukrainians and, and Jews? How many Polish? And, because they also yeah. carried out the genocide of Polish people um, in Volhynia. Unbelievable, so, you know. So yeah. and then and they've then pogroms they've, they've of used, Jews and you know I don't even. And they've given they've given government grants to these fascist organizations and employed them to carry out functions of the state. Oh, absolutely! I want mean, to. I want to say here that the leader of the, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> not the leader, but the uh, the commander, you know, of the police. Okay, at, at one moment was this Andrei Parubi, who, uh, you know, clearly had links to all those Nazi mm. neo-Nazi battalions, you know, that were uh, afterwards incorporated into the armed forces and special services and police and all the rest of it. And there's a lot of. Uh, well, uh, if not evidence, there's at least there are many indications clearly pointing that he might have been the guy who was uh, who had orchestrated, you know, the 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 shooting uh, on on the Maidan, okay, right. with the sacralizing event of this. Uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, pool, I right? so. I follow. Uh, I'm a little bit unusual because I I tend to I, I'm among a a small group of left wingers who thinks it's important. Yeah. To to study what the the other side are up to and their mm. methodology, and so mm. I I study a little, I, I I follow a bit the, um, the 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 CIA and what they do and their methodology, and the CIA has basically got a manual of operations, <clears throat> and one of um, and one of the pages in that manual I don't know I haven't actually seen it but I've seen it in operation um, is to uh, to use snipers to fire mm. down on crowds on both sides. So <clears throat> I won't be surprised if what they did, because they did it, they did it in in, in a number of other countries, um, where, that they that, that the CIA organised that with the with the appropriate fascists and whatever uh, to fire down on the crowd, that killed a hundred people and hundreds of others injured on both sides. Mm. So it's a classic it's a classic tactic of the CIA to destabilise a situation and, and give a justification. So, for example, in, in Venezuela, just before the coup in 2002, they did that 
and they organized that and they they killed a, a whole number of people and that was yeah. used as an excuse for the coup as it was in in uh, in, in um in uh, in Ukraine and of course the next day uh, the president fled the country in fear of his life didn't he you know um yeah, yeah. so so we so that that coup in in um 2014 um uh, was you know the source of a lot of these problems we're seeing today in Ukraine sadly and also let me just add here that you know those people because the the propaganda or i don't know western narrative all right goes like this but look look at the parties look at the composition of the verkhovna rada which is the parliament of ukraine there are no fascist or nazi people there they don't stand for elections and stuff like well the point is you know they don't have to because no. the uh, the regime incorporated them into something that is in the west is being referred to as the civic society which means that they are already part of the huge bureaucratic network okay of the mm. uh, of the state apparatus and also part of the repressive machinery of that so mm. uh, well we're going to get to this like sure. what their role is now <clears throat> and what their role has been in, so, in repressing uh, yeah. people uh, in, in east ukraine well um, um well perhaps you, I, I don't know uh, if you want to go and talk about that and um yeah, I was, well, I was, actually, I want I, I would I wanted to talk about it uh, a little later, like as a segue, maybe to us oh, discussing okay. the current situation, because uh, sure. this is this this directly will lead us to a conversation about what's going on 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 the front on the front line. Right, of course, you know. Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So what I would I would like to briefly talk about now is why why has this invasion taken place now? Because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are asking that question. Because after all, <clears throat> you know. Uh, since 2014-15, um, we've had this problem, these ongoing problems in Ukraine, of the government discriminating against the the Russian-speaking minority, uh, of the what they've been doing in the east, firing on the um, on the yeah, terrorizing the population yeah, in the two breakaway exactly. republics. Let's be honest about uh, it, right? Yeah, but why? What, you know, that's been going for the last seven years or so, right? Why now is um, have we got to this situation? Now, <clears throat> why is Putin, in other words, why is Putin organized this invasion now? Now, um, obviously, we, we don't know, you know, we can't see inside Putin's mind. But I think there's some important factors that we can we can identify. So, first of all, I, I think there's, a, there's an internal factor itself within Russia. Because Putin, Putin is becoming increasingly unpopular, and um, his, uh, you know, his does uh, his neoliberal oligarchic state uh, is 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 presiding over as it has as it is everywhere else, uh, increasing inequality, poverty. And as a result, well, yeah, discontent. but on the other hand, I'm sorry, I have to interject here. You know, obviously, mm. I mean, I agree with uh, the evaluation that, you know, Russia is capitalist and that the model is rather neoliberal than anything else mm. and that, you know, right. Putin is presiding over this. But let's be let, let's also, you know, uh, be uh, you know transparent, honest here in a sense that sure. since Putin took power and since Putin started, uh, you know, putting this thing together, which was uh, at, the, at the break of the century, you know, it was a country on the verge of falling apart, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, you know, into five or three different republics, you know, according to the Brzezinski's wet dream, by the way, but that's a different show. It's, uh, it, it's you know, the, the situation has gotten and has been getting better. Is there corruption? Of course. But honestly, you know, as much as I hate the Russian oligarchs and, and the Russian model, you know, this oligarchic, uh, grip on the Russian nation and so on and so forth. 
I gotta say, it is obviously getting less than it used to be. Are the oligarchs under bigger control? Yes, they are. Is this a strange regime where the oligarchs are basically under the thumb of the secret services controlled by the administration mm. to provide for the people where they have, you know, where they reside with their wealth and with their uh, uh, factories and whatever they managed to steal back in the 90s? That's true. But, you know, life expectancy is growing uh, or has been growing at least until <laughs> until and, and uh, you know, the the, uh, the birth rate, uh, you know, the infrastructure, the investments, the public investments, all those things were growing mm. and the improvement was real. And this is why. And I'm not saying it couldn't, you know, it, I'm not sure it could, it, it, it could have been mm. much better. You know, have yeah. uh, you know the thing not being so neoliberal and so uh, capitalistic and so on and so forth. But please, we gotta give this credit to the Putin administration that they they did not only prevent the fall apart of the Russian Federation into whatever amount of states, but they also did provide for the people. Not as much as we would have loved to, not as much as a socialist mm. republic would have provided, and, and we can discuss this kind of thing until, you know, tomorrow. But come on. I mean, this did happen. And his popularity has been growing pretty much, uh, it, well, first rapidly, then steadily, until this... this pension reform that was introduced uh, a couple of years ago uh, and 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 uh, look I don't want to come across as, as a Putin I don't know apologist or anything like that I just want us to be honest about it like uh, you know Putin is winning or has been winning elections okay not because he was rigging them but because mm -hmm. he was able to actually gain popularity through providing for the people and of course here i also want to stress on the fact that you know when you start from zero which was pretty much uh the situation in in uh of the russian economy when putin took over mm. then obviously even if you just make small steps then it's a huge uh, step forward for the suffering people but anyway russia okay is today and i know that i can speak from experience i've been there many times russia today is a modern country capitalistic neoliberal with uh, with enormous absolutely gargantuan uh, 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 inequalities okay that's all true mm. but it's you know by no way comparable with what the Russians majority of Russians remember from the 90s which was just devastation destruction poverty and death and hunger sure. in many in many cases <clears throat> well here Boyan, what what you're doing is you're doing an overview of what Putin's role has been since he come to power, which is not what I was doing. I was yeah. just talking about what I was referring to is the situation now. Sure, I wasn't pushing back. Yeah. I was just sort of no, trying no, to make no, the picture fuller. No, no okay. I, I think you're making a lot of valid points. But I, I'm talking only about Putin as he is today, mm -hmm. not the role he played, you know, from the beginning. Right. A lot of the things he said um, was why he was popular for a long period. And, and, it, and it wasn't just a question of... <clears throat> the vote rigging song, but today, um, the, the the fact that the, the as you said about, for example, the the um, the pension reform, right, was a major factor that that alienated a lot of Russians yeah. against the government, and, and that was a classic, and that was a classic neoliberal reform, Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Um, but there's also um, there's there's a lot of um, like there is under all neoliberal regimes, there's been growing anger everywhere. America, Europe, 
Russia, there, there's no exception here. Because what even even when the country gets benefit, you know, even when the, gen, the the gross national product goes up, it's not distributed to the ordinary people under neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, mm-hmm. isn't it? So, yeah. so the ordinary people are complaining. Many ordinary people in Russia are complaining that they're not they're not getting the benefits. All the benefits are going to Moscow, for example, and things like that. <clears throat> and so, and so, <clears throat> and if it wasn't for the fact that Putin controls all the media. I think we would see Putin suffering uh, defeats electorally in the future. Not only the media, but also they, they have this... Uh, we, we spoke with our <laughs> guests from Ukraine and from Russia in uh, previous mm. shows about how Russia doesn't really have any kind of soft power to project, you know, outside Russia. And that's, that, that's obviously the case. But they have a lot of soft yeah. power that they can project within Russia. And, you know, Putin sure. has done a great job, so to say, you know, convincing people that they live in the best of all worlds and how, you know, the rotten West, you know, is like uh, <clears throat> against all, you know, traditional values yeah. and all the rest of it and so on and so forth. But, yeah. you know, before you continue, uh, I'm going to jump in here and we're going to go to a hard break and we're going to be back in uh, the next segment. See you in the next segment, and thank you for uh, discussing now. Okay.